thing about the Greys is that the Greys were the ones that made the deal so that they could right. have access to human DNA, the whole population. What's in these files, right? Well, firsthand accounts from people who worked on the craft themselves. You get to the, like 1940s and on and like, why are there so many UFO crashes? Well, it's the radar thing. It's the, the humans figuring out how to take them down. There were four ET bodies taken alive. They later died. Uh, this thing had three levels. The upper deck had a control panel with buttons and switches and kind of a display. The reason why Mussolini joined the Germans is because he knew they had superior technology back in 1933. And he's like, you know, they're going to take over the world someday. So that's like the whole story that's out there. Big question really is like, why would they be trying to get into the craft if they were ours? These are the ones that are at war with that military industrial complex side who originally thought it was fun and now they're not having fun. Hey everyone, welcome to the Metaphysical Podcast. We've talked about UFO whistleblowers before who received classified information about the existence of top secret projects the military has been covering up for decades. But we haven't talked about the research from military aerospace historian, Michael Schratt, that honestly blew our minds. Going through tens of thousands of files with reports from top brass military personnel who gave their testimonies about Downcraft, a secret retrieval program, and more, Michael Schratt was able to work directly with firsthand information. Want to hear what he brought out of the dusty file cabinets where this information was hidden away? Well, join John and me, investigative researcher Rob Counts, for a show that's out of this world. Yeah, and if you're listening to us, watching us, listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching us on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, or somewhere else, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really, really, really helps. Um, make sure you like and subscribe. Just keep ringing that bell because, I don't know, they keep showing up. Don't want to miss them. Yeah, or you get your, your bell gets unrung, and then it needs to be rung again which right. is what the bully always told me in, in grade school. Just kidding. Oh, God. I, I didn't expect Michael Schratt's information to be so mind-blowing, but when I watched Ben's interview with Michael Schratt, wow, it really blew my mind. Um, so Michael Schratt, for you guys at home, he's a military aerospace historian who's documented cases of whistleblower testimony of UFO encounters for nearly 30 years. And as we've been saying in these last episodes, I think after David Grush and guys like Eric Hecker came out recently, I believe Mike Schratt's work is is being looked at again with with seriousness because it, it, all of this stuff could be true. We've got we've got a lot of other military whistleblowers here that have come out and 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 documented what they've experienced. And he and so Schratt's Schrat stuff is just unbelievable. Yeah. Like I, I so there's two parts on Rise TV, and I was on the edge of my seat throughout both those the whole interview. I'm literally on the edge of my seat because his information and the images that he has are just unbelievably cool. Like, yeah, if you're gonna watch any interview, watch this. Watch it. Yeah. It's amazing. What I loved about it, too, um, about what what Mike Schratt has done is he's he's really taken these 
um, whistleblower experiences. And he's helped everyone understand them better by having illustrators do the work to illustrate what these guys were talking about. And, you know, it's funny because now people will, you know, do AI like creations on mid journey or some of these other things, but no, he he's tried to get these illustrations down to the T of what was, what was described in the accounts to like really bring it home. And then he would show you simple drawings that were done by the experiencers. And then he would get illustrators involved and he would keep showing you better and better versions of these, these illustrations of what it was like to be in there with these craft. Yeah. You know, like I imagine Michael Schratt, the way that he like expresses himself during the interview, like even building little dioramas of it and getting, oh yeah, choo, 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 choo. This is, this is like, and you're like following him on this journey of building the picture that you can tell he's so interested and happy about being able to build the picture of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a, it's been a lot of work and like books that he's published that I think have largely gone unnoticed. Yeah. And when he's, when he sits down in an interview and he goes through all of this stuff, I mean, it was, it was boom, 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 you know, one after another. And it was, it was right. two almost hour long episodes with him just going through a lot of the interesting cases and he didn't touch on everything. You know, here's one of the books, the dark files, uh, book one, a pictorial history of the lost, forgotten, and obscure UFO encounters. Michael Such Pratt. cool, such cool stuff, man. This guy, this guy is one of the best researchers, in my opinion. I, and the way he presents it is just perfect. Well, and I think that's what's so great about how he's presenting things is he's a historian, and so he's presenting things how a normal historian would present them, back things up the way that they should be backed up, and just delivering the information just cleanly the best that he can you know a little bit more information about him he began as an aviation historian but shifted into the ufo field after opening thousands of folders and images flight paths etc and then attempting 3d renderings to preserve an important part of national history right like no one else is looking at this as like actual national history whereas he is coming from that mindset you know and he's reviewed over 50,000 documented UFO cases and pres preserved at the uh, KUFOS, Center for UFO Studies Archives in Chicago. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Pentagon, you can actually find some of these on YouTube. The Pentagon hired a production team to interview at least people who were involved in the Roswell crash. Um, and you can find these like archive archived videos that they created of uh, witnesses to them being aliens, which is very strange to me. I mean, here you have the Pentagon even documenting this and putting it into the public archives on the alien side. Strange. Yeah, it is. What Michael Schratt's work, um, like what it's done, actually, a lot of people wouldn't even recognize, but his his work paved the way for the um, National Press Club um, press conference that was held by Dr. St Stephen Greer just recently, where Dr. Greer presented Eric Hecker, and Eric Hector got to give his testimony about Raytheon that he was working with down in Antarctica that you guys are going to be seeing publish in some of these episodes. We went, we had a deep dive into Antarctica after Eric Hecker came out where we discuss a lot of really interesting things, including him. And this was the event June 12th, 2023. 
It is interesting, John, like you and I were talking about this uh, up to June where we were like, what, what happened to all the whistleblowers? What happened to all of them? Right. They're no longer <laughs> around or anything. And then boom, we get hit with two right after we start talking about that. We've got Eric Hecker right. and David Grush both coming out. Okay. So yeah, I mentioned before that Shrat went through about 50,000 cases um, in downtown Chicago and he said that there were so many you you couldn't even fit a razor blade between them. Like that's that's how many cases were just stacked. And so in these in these files, you know, he was checking for for drawings, sketches, illustrations, and reports. And then he would he he would check the flight path records. He took all of that and made a drawing from it, which was either three D rendered himself or sent to a commissioned artist to do it, to bring it up to standard. So he would see the actual, I think he would see the, the photos and stuff. And then he would try to make sure that he didn't lose any of the details in his own drawings before giving it to a commissioned artist. So, right. yeah, that's right. pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So his, his process on it was really uh, fine, finely detailed, trying to keep everything exactly as it was. That's really amazing. I mean, he's not, he's not like, um, making stuff up around these things. He's just basically going off the t witnesses. Well, and you don't really get that feeling from him when you hear him talk either. I mean, uh, right. I do think that needs to be taken into consideration. He's this guy is of sound mind. He's very organized in his thinking and in his delivery. But he, That's the thing though. So, so when people look at these types of photographs, they literally, they literally just think fantasy photograph. So it's really actually important to state. It's like, well, of course, you know, he's a historian. He's going to represent things according to the historical record of it and not go down the path of fantasizing it. Yet every single image that he has looks like it's somebody fantasizing it, right? So it's really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. That's really funny. Yeah, and so these, these files were um, basically pioneered by a guy named Leonard Stringfield. And the crash retrieval cases were under Leonard's jurisdiction. And this is where the bulk of Schratt's work basically came from. And uh, Stringfield was, was the one that compiled everyone's testimonials, painstakingly compiled everyone's testimonials together, the 50,000, you know. So this is, this is like multiple people, you know, working here to, to bring this to the light of day. What's in these files, right? Well, firsthand accounts from people who worked on the craft themselves, right? Re retrievals, and they, they actually dealt with retrievals and dealt with the bodies being drug, dragged out of them or that were strewn along the countryside after the crash happened. Who knows? Right. A lot of them were dragged out alive. Some of these people were loading and unloading cargo into the shipping containers and brought them to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, where a lot of this stuff is going on. So many UFO sightings up there, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, John, you've got to come down here so we can go up there. No, I don't want to go there. No way do I want to go to Wright-Patterson. Are you kidding me? So, no, nah, we were... Within a healthy it, distance. Come on. We're doing an earlier episode where I talked about this abduction event that happened to me. And yeah. when I saw some of the pictures of Wright Patterson, it looked a little too familiar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm not sure if I want to go there. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, like I said before, in another episode, it's like these beings are still connected in, even though they're considered adversary adversaries, they're still connected in certain levels, certain groups of people. So you don't know what you're going to get. Okay, so he, you know, he has a bunch of high brass witnesses dealing with physical hardware, the physical hardware from from this technology, the craft, whatever, what have you. Pilots might think they're chasing ET craft because they're not briefed, but it could be technology that our own government has now. So we're we're familiar with this, like even the Tic Tac UFO, some of these TR3Bs, they're getting chased by friendly craft probably because they're not at the classification level where uh they can know about that craft like with the tic tac stuff uh those videos we saw that there were gray i think i said it before grays operating those ship and like like the weird thing with all this stuff is that's that oftentimes if we do see a craft that humans we've never actually seen a craft exclusively that is super alien in origin that humans are flying alone except for like the tr3b which is not super alien looking because it's got those like rivets and panels on it whenever we get the like true i guess you could call it true ufos we never get humans we get aliens sometimes though we could get a combination of human and alien in those in the craft together yeah in the craft together like Guardians of the Galaxy style, just tag teaming <laughs> yeah. up there in space. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you get to like the Gary McKinnon, the hacker. Uh, oh, the, the guy hacker. that broke into NASA. Right. And saw that picture of a cigar shaped craft that was like handed down to humans. And that in that craft, we get a combination of humans and aliens. He is a very interesting looking fella. And I can't tell if it's because he's from Britain or if it's because he's got something else going on. Yeah. And I don't I don't mean that in offense to any Britons, British people. It's like every like every country has like a unique look that, you know, certain people have more than others. Yeah. Check this out. Seamless metal was found versus man-made craft that look like patchwork or like you said, rivets. So they found seamless metal. He went over Stringfield's background in the in this interview that that Ben did on Rise.TV. And he memorized the entire dictionary by the time he'd graduated high school in 1939. We're talking about Springfield right now. And he joined the military as soon as he heard about the attack on Pearl Harbor. Stringfield gave a lecture. He memorized the dictionary. Yeah. (laughs) Just sorry. That's I don't know. But it's like he must have been winning spelling bees like they were going out of style. Well, I've memorized the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's kind of like saying the dictionary. Now you memorize the whole Internet. No, but I do feel like. 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years ago, somebody saying they memorized the dictionary would have been a lot more impressive than it is now. I know. It's, to me, it's like, it well, would have okay. been like saying you you memorized something like way more than it was, you know? Right. So I guess Stringfield gave a lecture in 1978 at the MUFON Symposium about UFO retrievals, and he presented a paper on crash retrievals and got pushback over it, of course. There's a lot of anonymous sources here, so they couldn't be verified at the time, which is why um, Stringfield got pushback. He passed away in 1994. 
Now, this is where it gets more interesting here, is the propulsion systems would doom the industries, which would be the op which would be obsolete overnight, which makes sense. I mean, if these propulsion systems were released to the public, I mean, yeah, overnight. I mean, like like our airplanes would look ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but here's the thing. So what? Okay, so from the standpoint of the government <clears throat> saying if we don't do something right now, we're going to screw up the whole climate and we're going there right now. Like right we're falling down this hole right now. Who cares if the industries get destroyed? Who cares? What does it matter? We won't have a home to live on according to their story. So why not bring it out? Who cares? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically saying, I think I think Stringfield and and Shrat are basically claiming that these things are not being brought out. The the technologies because are that not would being destroy brought. industry, but it's uh, supposedly yeah. our industry and us that are destroying the planet, and we are done now. We're done. Well, we right. pay taxes this is what... so we can get it back in shape. <laughs> this is what's so weird about like the current political climate out there with the climate change yeah. and all of that it's like well you're right. you're not bringing it out because it would destroy the industries and then you're telling us we were destroying everything because you're using the products you're giving us right <laughs> i don't know what to do like that's there's like two, that's too confusing for me like my brain no, can't just, really just, just pay your pay your carbon credit man it's all gonna be okay you can yeah. sleep well they'll fix it uh, buy your that's taxes man they're just that is it. the uh, uh it's the worst. Get on board, buddy. Right, right. Stop questioning things so much. Why are you doing that metaphysical show? We've got interesting here is UFO crash retrieval at an army base north of Georgia. Really interesting account here. Now, this is the first one we want to talk about here. 1942, long before Roswell. Wow, yeah. Before... Think about the implications of what this means, right? We always hear about Roswell, crash retrieval and everything, but... If you go back to April 20th, 1941, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, that's one they got retrieved. Battle of Los Angeles, 1942, there were at least two retrieved there. So now we're at three if we consider this case in 1942. Now we're at four before Roswell that they already have. Now we talk, the body count starts getting higher. Uh, this is 1942 at a base north of Georgia. I don't know where it is, and neither did Leonard. He didn't even know, but mm -hmm. it was somewhere north of Georgia. This thing was 15 feet in diameter, 10 feet high. There were four ET bodies taken alive. They later died. Uh, this thing had three levels. The upper deck had a control panel with buttons and switches and kind of a display. Below that was the mid-deck, which had a cutout in the center so that these beings could walk in there. And on this mid-deck, there were four what looked like bar stools that were parked and sat behind a wraparound window with two smaller windows flanked on either side of the main window. Now, on the bottom deck, there was an entryway hatch door. So this is Leonard Stringfield, page 319, where you can get the reference for this thing. These beings were about five feet tall. 90 pounds, large black eyes. So we've got oversized head, oversized eyes, slit for a mouth, minute nose, milky white skin, and emaciated body parts, hands and arms that went down below the knees. That's what we're looking at here. And this is what these witnesses are telling us. Were they alive or were they, they were alive? Really interesting, you know? 
Um, so north of Georgia, this craft, this is this is pre-Roswell. Pre-Roswell. I mean, I know there's right. been a few of them, but wow. Yeah, you know, there, there, there's, okay, so like the crashes really picked up around Roswell. And it makes sense that there would have been crashes before that because of the whole radar thing. Um, now, like when you get 1930s and earlier, I don't think so much. You know, may, there have been some reports, like I think there was an Aurora, Texas crash that maybe happened in the 1800s, late 1800s, 1890s. Someone forgot a bolt, right? Someone forgot a bolt on that ship and it's just like lost a wheel. You get to like 1940s and on and like, why are there so many UFO crashes? Well, it's the radar thing. It's the, the humans figuring out how to take them down. This craft now that we just saw and you've got a bunch of of curious <clears throat> military personnel who want to break into this thing. Right. Apparently, John, according to Schrat, diamond drills didn't even make a dent on some of these craft. Yeah, what's this stuff made out of? Crazy, well, right? It engineered to be denser, harder, and like resistant to the sharpest thing on our planet. That's crazy. Also, some of it's reported to be what self-healing. Yeah, right. And and you know, you and I have been bringing up self-healing metal quite a bit, or even concrete. Like we found some uh, evidence of self-healing concrete, like the um, right. What is it? The Colosseum even has some of this technology in there that we don't understand now. Right. Many many years later, right? Um, so yes, very very interesting stuff. Well, that also makes me, you know, we ran across that article the other day on the debrief website that's talking about how scientists just came up with a self-healing metal. And I'm like, no, man, this was this was absolutely fed into industry, fed to the scientists. Well, and, and why aren't they telling us when they reverse engineered something like just just right. be honest, honest about it? You probably found metal somewhere from either a previous civilization or from one of these craft. Somebody's reverse engineered it figured out how to do it. And then they write an article right. as if science is so great and grand that they did it themselves. Right. Well, humans are the end all be all. And that's like, I don't know. It's just what we, Oh, we, we uh, love telling ourselves that that's for sure. Right. Yeah. This is crazy. Tw that's two. Th this, so this was, uh, the healing stone, um, that they kind of unraveled recently where you can see 2000 years old on the left and 20 years old on the right, which is totally rotted. Yeah. And so here's that article self-healing metal discovery opens door for giant tech leap. And this was on earth.com. If you want to check out that, that article about self-healing metal, we pulled this up on uh, edge of wonder a couple weeks ago or a week ago or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, Schratz kind of asked here whether or not, or he's he's at least discussing what he thinks about these people. You know, does he think they're lying? And he says, I don't think that these, that all these guys are lying because they say the same thing. I keep getting these reports from these military witnesses of not only diamond-tipped drill bits, but torches and lasers trying to get into these crafts. There was one point where he said that they shot a laser at this thing and it bounced and then it destroyed a bunch of the, you know, the warehouse or that whatever that the, the hangar that they were in. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I mean, someone's going to take their eye out if they don't stop this nonsense. You're not going to get in. 
Well, and I think it's a lot more than an eye, John. I think like <laughs> if if Tucker Carlson's information is true that we've got some of these, you know, we've got a bunch of lawsuits going on right now for people that have been hurt or killed by some of these UFO craft. Well, there's got to be a lot that we haven't even heard about in history. I mean, think about all of the damage that's occurred. Oh, I'm, I know. Can you imagine? I mean, look, how many has Shrat cataloged? Uh, hundreds? Yeah. What, what was it? And he's gone through 50,000 of these files. 50,000 of the files? Sorry. I mean, it's like, wow. Wow. I mean, think about how many they've actually gotten. How many they've actually gotten. And so that is, now you got to wonder out of that percentage, how many have they actually been able to get into? Now, it's probably a lot less than that. Well, so what so what he was saying in the interview is really interesting. And you guys definitely should go check this interview out if you ha if you haven't like there's so many more stories than we're bringing up here. They were doing every, anything and everything possible to figure out how to get into these things and I think eventually they even used liquid nitrogen like dipped the entire thing into liquid nitrogen, took it out and it got like of course it's nitrogen, right? So things got more frail and then they were able to get in in some cases, not in all of them. Big question really is like, why would they be trying to get into the craft if they were ours? So there's a lot of people out there listening to this that are like, well, these are our crafts. We were developing them or whatever. Well, why would they be trying to get into these or break into these like he's claiming, like so many of these whistleblowers have claimed? Why are all these people dying from getting close to UFOs if they're our own? Like, wouldn't right. humans make something safe enough to get close to it? They have to fly in them. I don't understand here, like, like the whole, you know, Pentagon releasing Tic Tac videos and whatnot, because here you are presenting something about a very high technology and then raising the question of, we don't know, we don't know what this is. And then pull back on the alien question and go, oh, no evidence of aliens, but we don't know what this is. You are literally just stoking the fires of aliens. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, okay, you literally yes. are. Yeah, I agree with you. First of all, I agree with you. However, when we're talking about the, for lack of a better way to say it, the mother load of disclosure and, and technologies and all of that stuff, the Tic Tac UFO video was a very conveniently organized release to keep the information only going so far where you've got right. like, yeah. You've got Only like, a, yeah, you've got a mountain of information and you're showing them the tip of a tiny iceberg and just letting people talk about that instead of all of this other stuff. Right. So to me, that that actually really makes sense. Like, why show people that? Well, it's because it's either that or people start talking about some of these other things like Mike Schratz, <laughs> 50,000 files or right. who knows what else, you know? Yeah, 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 right, right. A little smoke screen there. Pretty interesting story here. There was a six-year-old whose electrician father worked at the base at Wright Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. So this is Wright Field, Dayton, Ohio. During a lunch break when he was visiting, a, this is the little boy, I assume, a janitor offered the kid a soda. And as he's getting the soda, a door opened and he got a quick peek inside. He saw two tractor trailer trucks with various odd debris covered in tarps. <clears throat> there was a disc shaped craft with triangular landing gear, three ET bodies lying on the ground, 
20 feet in diameter. So these things are 20 feet in diameter, two raised surfaces around the outside of the craft. The boy saw the bodies in 1946. Hmm. And here are the 3D renderings. Actually, we've got so some 3D renderings of exactly what it looked like in that interview on Rise. So you can actually see those 3D renderings there. That's crazy. Look at that. Yeah. How would you get that there with those trucks? Like you, you like they covered them up with those tarps and then they 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 flew them or sorry, they drove them all the way up to Ohio. This is why yeah, Ohio exactly. is so weird, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I you know, they, they, we've looked at a lot of crashes with remote viewing, and I I can say that thematically it's kind of all the same from Roswell, Kecksburg. Kecksburg has some like really weird aspect to it though, as well. Um, whatever UFO crash it is, even back to Mussolini and that crash and like, actually that was the 1930s, I think. <clears throat> that happened before World War II. I did an episode on Rise TV where um, it's called Crashes of the Visitors. And I, I go down this path of like, I didn't even really talk about Roswell, which is the most well-known crash because not only have other remote viewers covered it extensively um, and we found the same thing that they've found, it's also kind of boring, right? It's also kind <laughs> right, of boring right. after a while. While it may be amazing to some people, there's actually not a whole ton of information that you're going to get out of it that's any different than what the witnesses have already described, right? Well, yeah, it crashed. Yeah, this really, truly happened, according to data. Some of them are interesting, but most of them are just kind of like, okay, yeah, it was just another UFO crash. They, they got the bodies. They got the craft. Um, it's going to happen again because they are taking them down with a, a radar type of pulse. It's a little bit more sophisticated now, but and it's more directed. You know? <laughs> so we look at weirder stuff. <laughs> Right. It's like, OK, yeah. so what about the ones where where a, a scientist walks into a ship and he starts puking everywhere because there's a dimensional anomaly in it. And outside, it looked like it was 100 feet long. You go inside, it's like three football fields. Right. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's actually interesting. That's interesting, though. Yeah, that, that he got that sick. I mean, maybe it was, you know, most of that. Me the, those mechanics are in your in your ear, you're in your eardrums, in your head. So if those get whack, out of whack, you could start throwing up right away. I mean, this is what happens to people on ships and airplanes and stuff over time is, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's like a weird thing. I mean, we've seen this in other projects that that where there's alien type technology around. It, sometimes it's like, like it feels like you are when you're viewing this stuff like like moving you can tell when you're moving through to a, through a dimensional space what you're viewing is the viewing through going through a dimensional change in space so if a being is coming from a higher dimensional realm has more dimensions in it and coming into ours it's as though like they're trying to squeeze their head through a mayonnaise jar or into a mayonnaise jar like if you can imagine trying to squeeze your head into a mayonnaise jar that's a good metaphor for what happens to higher dimensional beings when they come into this realm and it's a discombobulating thing and going now going into a different or higher dimensional realm from here it opens up into a bigger space much much bigger space 
than what we perceive in our 3D reality. And it messes with the brain because the brain can't handle it. Oh, that's interesting. Just like the, it's kind of like when you're in a VR headset or whatever, and you're still, but everything in the VR headset is moving like you're moving through a building. Your body gets thrown for a huge loop. Right. You know? Right. You're, you're right. like everything in you is like what? Uh, like you feel like you're moving or something and you're not and your body is like freaking out, you know? Right. <laughs> anyway, you guys, this Michael Schratt interview, there's more stories in the Rise TV um, interview with Michael Schratt. Definitely recommend you go check it out and you'll be supporting John and my work. So some of the stories you'll get on that interview are things like a retrieval on the edge of Mexico worked on both by uh, the by the U.S. and Mexican personnel. So there was competition between countries and collaboration as well. Very interesting. Um, an egg-shaped craft with a mysterious sphere inside. Uh, craft that had ex uh, experienced internal implosions, which sounds like that Titanic thing that happened, or the Titan thing that happened, which is weird. I mean, if you think about it, like water and space, you know. Okay, so Close Encounters style ships with windows all around it. So those Close Encounter ships like this one. Um, bodies being recovered, air hangers that still exist today, so large that they have their own weather inside. That's re that is crazy. That's crazy. And then right. classified materials exposed for the first time by Schratz source, Leonard Stringfield, and so much more on those interviews. So definitely go check those out, you guys. Right, right. But now we got to get into what John and his team remote viewed here regarding all of this stuff with Mike Schratt. And the first thing we're going to hit, I think is Mussolini. So yeah, the was... Mussolini thing was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So before what... you get into this, tell everyone what, what Schratt's claims were about Mussolini, just to remind everyone. So I think I, it was in the 1930s before world war II had begun. Mussolini and Italy was on good terms with the Vatican. Uh, and so that's actually comes through the Vatican. The Vatican had apparently told the U.S. later on when they became a bit more suspect of, of Mussolini and Italy for siding with Germany. Uh, but this is before they sided with Germany. <clears throat> so they had found a, uh, a, a crash ship, think witnesses to the crash as well. And they went to the site and they had found... Um, what they claimed was um, a UFO. Actually, when they took it, they didn't know what it was, and they thought it was probably mostly terrestrial origin. Um, but the story is that Mussolini had three of these creatures like sitting in his office with him that they'd recovered from the crash. Just right? chilling there, rotting. Just chilling there. And, and the stories are that they were like sort of large, four-headed, blonde, Nordic type aliens. Oh, really? um, that could be a little bit of propaganda ish stuff. I don't know for sure. We didn't see necessarily uh, what they were when we looked at this. But what we did see was that the craft was of like, um, it was the shape of a wing, but with a central, it, it looked, it wasn't an airplane. But it, it could be misconstrued as like a jet airplane, the way it was shaped. It was more of like of a wing, a giant wing than anything else. That's what it mm -hmm. looked like. That's what our data has described. 
this particular ship, what it looks like it was, what it look like, looks like it was for though, was for put there, crashed there in a sense for just giving some technology away. And it wasn't anything that was super duper um, exotic. It was something that humans at that time could understand. So what it is literally, now I don't know what the technology is. It's probably something to do with jet engines. But what I think that this craft ultimately did was not necessarily anti-gravity. There could have been some aspects. And I think that it was basically left, left for them in this show kind of situation. Because, you know, we don't, we don't get anything like um, it was shot down or anything like that. It was, there was nothing like that going on. Literally like crash landed, but as somewhat, like we get the word gift showing up in the sessions. Italians had come, had, had developed um, the jet engine mm. earlier than others. That's true. So my guess is that this thing had to do with that specifically. It was it was some type of jet engine. Now some people think that it was Germany that crashed there with their experiments in jet engines back in 1933, but no, it was nothing like that that we saw. But that would solve a that would you know solve the issue right as far as like, and and then and then the reason why Mussolini joined the Germans is because he knew they had superior technology back in 1933. And he's like, you know, they're going to take over the world someday. So that's like the whole story that's out there. We don't necessarily get that though. Very interesting. So the Mussolini thing is legit. Did you, did you see whether or not he had these aliens in his office or no, anything? No, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't see. We, I, I don't think that's true. I don't necessarily think that's true. They could have passed through there at one point, but I don't think he was like, you know, smoking cigars with them or anything dead aliens. <laughs> which, you know, which would make for a better story, to be honest. It would. <laughs> yeah. So the Vatican told the United States about this later on, and the United States came in and confiscated it. What we find, like, across the board with UFO crashes is that they are pretty much all real. They're pretty much all real events. Yeah, like 90 to 98% of them, right? Right, right. Because... There's more around it than just one person having a UFO experience. You know, there, there, in order for a UFO crash to make it into the public arena, you've got witnesses saw a UFO days before or during that night. There was uh, stuff flying in the sky. Uh, someone heard a loud crash. Uh, there were military people everywhere. So, and then you have the witness on the ground. I saw aliens in body bags, right? So, so with the with the UFO crashes, they are mostly all legitimate. They're mostly all legitimate. Now, some of these could be like a TR3B crashing. You know, it could be, you know, some of these could be that. And, and the Americans or someone else experimenting with this technology. But when you have the aliens showing up in witness accounts. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're real. They're real. They're true. Most of the right. time it's gray, the gray style aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're the ones that seem to be after the genetics more than anyone else. Right. And so here's the other thing too. It's like, okay, so you get into the gray thing and the whole thing about the grays is that the grays were the ones that made the deal so that they can right. have access to human DNA, the whole population. And some people estimate 70 to 80% of, of 
people, Americans specifically, were, have been abducted, right? And most don't even know, literally. Like some research es researchers estimate, I think it's probably around 80% personally. Um, but that sounds like crazy talk. Do you think that that's true? Okay, so here's the way that it can be done. Right. With the technology that we know Montauk has that came out of these craft, like we know they came out of these craft, they are able to go to that in-between place and move into aspects of time, backward or forward. And we saw this with the experiments that they were doing at Montauk, and we know that Montauk got it from them. Like you would think, God, it's impossible to abduct that many people. I mean, how long, how long is the night, right? Because they do it at night. It's like, there's no time. But when you have access to that other dimensional space where you can shift the back upside down, time, the upside down, the left, right, over. right, <laughs> right. That is shifting back in time over and over to accomplish the goal that they want. And the whole thing was to be testing to find out who has genetic markers in order to utilize them. Right. That's the estimation like that some researchers make. I think 70 percent. Um, I place it probably higher than that, though. Oh, really? You so Yeah, you, because you really think that. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I really American specifically because of this deal. <clears throat> American specifically looking at that. Yeah. Looking at that specifically uh, using remote viewing to try to understand it. You have to use some wonky methods to try to understand that. But I do think that it is probably around 80 percent. I'd like to remember if I have been to see, you know, whether or not I got any of them, their necks around, you know, right around their neck. <laughs> did I fight any of them? I did. Yeah. I fought them. I broke some necks. <laughs> yeah. I busted some skulls while I was up there. Right. They spat me out real quick. That's that. I, I had not ever really thought of that. I just thought it was like, a, you know, maybe like 3%, 5% was still a lot of people. But 80% is, wow. That's what I think. I mean, you know, people are going to go, that guy's insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, but I think it's absolutely totally possible for them to be able to do it and have it all happen in one day. <laughs> well, and, and I think a lot of people, they don't understand. People don't understand how these creatures can use technology. It's beyond right. what we're what we can understand, right? So, some of the things that we take for granted, they may be using to do these things and to abduct us or whatever it is. And it may not even be a full abduction; it may just be a tracking of and and some simultaneous like an, you know, an interaction on some level, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's like one of these things. Well, like, what if it's you know, what if it's that the specific type of technology like that we're using these, we've got portals in our homes everywhere. I mean, right. you know, the Wi-Fi, the TVs, the video games, whatever it is, you know? So it is, it is interesting when you start looking at things a little bit differently, that there could be some, some, some ways that these things are getting tracked, you know? But yeah, we've, we've got a couple of other things here, like the Maelstrom Air Force Base and you already kind of went over Roswell. So yeah, you know, like Roswell, it's like it's it's like yeah, okay, so what? Right. So so what? Like the, the this stuff happens and it happens frequently especially with the advent of really using radar and them figuring out how to take them down. 
And that's why there are so many stories that are able to be dug up about these crashes, which are real. And like I said, mostly it's the gray type aliens, but sometimes you find others that are here for other reasons. Um, some of these guys are here for just getting materials, source materials, not so interested in humans. But hey, you know what? They they didn't know. They came into the airspace, they got pulsed with the radar, and they're screwed. Like <laughs> right. they're marooned, basically, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they go into this, you know, if they're still alive, like they go into this, you know system within the black project government programs there are contractors who work with remote viewing mostly on the telepathic side to figure out what who's doing what where they come from and what they want with us and what they want with this place like that like remote viewing is used for all of this stuff now it's used in all of these programs that deal with alien species because how else are you going to communicate with them as well? You need to develop good telepaths in order right. to be able to communicate with these things. And we have had leaks around that stuff too. So this, this is really like, this is really like important stuff, extremely important. The fact that it's put out to the conspiracy fringes where people talking about it are just crazy, have no idea what this stuff means. It's huge. It's so huge. So, these crashes, yes, they are real. Um, over and over, they do happen. Um, various types of beings are being killed and then kept, studied. And if they make contact with where they came from, whomever they came from, they will contact that group. When you get to Malmstrom and what happened there in 1967, the Air Force Base in Montana, uh, I think you had like 10 or... 10 Minuteman missiles that which are nuclear nuclear tipped missiles with 800 kiloton nuke on each. They had an incident in 1967 where there were these, and it happened over a couple of nights. There were these lights that were moving around in the sky very fast and, you know, like flies over old food. Like we were talking about the last one. It's like these things were moving around fast. And then all of a sudden the missiles were shut down. So all the power to the missiles stopped completely shut down, which is something that can't happen. Like it's, it's an impossibility unless somebody flipped a switch there at the base. The, and these are, these are the things that, that, that Grush and some of these other people are bringing up where these, you know, these, these UFOs seem to be attracted to nuclear technology that they're, Right. That they're doing something, you know, maybe some of these races are shutting this stuff down, just like you said. So when we remote view that, what it is, so it's like a red object in the sky flying around the base and, the, you know, these 10 missiles are disabled. When we look at that to understand what we have is that this, these are the adversaries. These are the ones that are at war with that military industrial complex side who originally thought it was fun and now they're not having fun. This, we were talking about it in that in the last episode where, where they are showing what they can do. And my guess also is that at a certain point, nuclear missiles or some nuclear uh, event happened with humans trying to attack them with nuclear missiles. And so this shutdown event Right. Was part of 
the war that's been going on for quite a while. And as humans began to separate more and more from them, it just created more adversity uh, between the two groups and fighting. Um, in fact, we saw this. Yeah, we yeah. often think that it's like wars between humans are going on here, but like we're, it's like there's so much. This is opening up discussion for so much more. I mean, why we are involved those... in a war with these beings? We are absolutely, yeah. Uh, don't yeah. you think we should know that? Shouldn't people here know that that yeah. there's danger out there and that we need? But what to are you going like... to do? You just sound like a nut. Are you going to go to your local PTA meeting? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm gonna and, tell and, everybody about it. My kids' school and PTA. talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got to do is. something about these blasted aliens. Right. Um, yeah, but but like you know, our 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 family members could be in danger. Our families could be in danger. Um, our homes could be in danger. So shouldn't we? Shouldn't we know, like, why aren't they telling us? I mean, obviously, we don't want people to go scared and, and run into the streets, you know, uh, pulling their hair out or something. But it just this seems could that have we're to in a do with, This could have to do with non-combatants versus combatants, where it's like the focus will only be, maybe they take this, this role. Look, there's a, from my perspective, it is the biggest wrong that you commit, um, to kill, if you're a combatant in war, to kill innocents. Mm. If you have two people that are fighting each other and they're both combatants, I think, you know, I mean, still not good, but I think that there is a difference, a degree of difference between, and they may understand this, between killing just innocent humans versus killing those who are fighting against them, right? And I think that might be something that is understood, right? Um, it, it could be something that's universal. I mean, you know? hopefully, but if they've abducted 80% of the human race, I'm not sure if the morals are there, you know? Right, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that, that literally is to understand the genetics and try to find these very unique genetic markers within people in order to, mm -hmm. you know, and you would think that, you know, maybe the, the idea of the abduction literally just has to do with uh, some type of quick scan on people. I don't know if it's literally abduction. It could be literally like, I mean, because I do think that there is technology that can scan DNA in general, like an energetic marker in humans. So, you know, it could be something like that quickly, easily. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, or they're, or they're dragging, you know, small four-year-old boys into a cave and asking them to poop on, you know, some type yeah, of material. Just like, yeah, a piece of paper, just like that Mount Shasta episode that we that we uh, we did where we were talking about the robot grandma. That was a very, very interesting story. If you guys haven't right. seen those episodes, you should totally go back and 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 uh, and watch. But yeah, so very interesting conversation we have going on here. And there's just one other thing that I kind of wanted to discuss here, which was. Uh, I think this this conversation around kind of the difference of dimensional space occurring. Right. Yeah. We, so <clears throat> we, we see, we, okay. So there are these places where not just ships, where there's like a, a shift to a dimensional space and those places we can find out in nature at times and locations that we've remote viewed where it's the same kind of thing that that scientist ran into when he went on the ship 
that is, and I think this is a, a Grush story, where the ship appeared to be about 100 feet long, but you go inside, it's like three football fields. And that was like very discombobulating. We find these types of situations also in certain places in nature where you have a lot of paranormal phenomena occur. So you have kind of like the same genre of thing going on, whether it's the same thing causing it or not. I don't know. I mean, perhaps there's like a UFO, like cloaked nearby or cloaked there. Who the heck knows why this is happening at times? Um, so we see that we also see that with some of these purported alien bases. Like if somebody says, well, there's a, a secret government base over there that, that where, where they're involved with aliens, we'll find these anomalies in those places. And these anomalies are actually used to kind of set up these sort of traps. We call them viewer traps or mouse traps where, <clears throat> where, um, you get caught in this weird dimensional space when you're remote viewing it so that you're in this sort of like fractally kaleidoscope thing that goes on and on and on. So you don't, and that happens to every viewer. So it sounds like a Dr. Strange movie. It you does know, sound like, like a Dr. Strange yeah. movie where you're remote viewing it and you get kind of caught in this and, and you can't break through to the other side because like what we have run into in the past if none of that kind of thing is set up, we've run into aliens that will notice us. They will take notice of us. So there is some kind of dimensional construct as well with these, with the technology they have, they can set up as sort of this like psychic trap to trap psychics within. Mm. So you can't see what's behind it. So that's another aspect of these. Um, and some of these crafts, some of these UFO that we run into, they have the same thing. Like it's like, especially when we get to the higher dimensional stuff. Like if you've ever seen Peter Maxwell Slattery's videos, some of his videos, he's got a he's got a lot of videos of UFOs. The ones that we ha have that are sparkling and they they're like they're sort of like got these colors going through them. When we remote view those, those are the same kind of thing that's going on, except it's a higher dimensional thing um, where all these other beings are just beyond in another dimension. And this ship is, is used somewhat as like a lens where they're looking, it's like sticking their wow. head through a window. Right. But they're, they exist back in another dimension. Dude, that's some creepy, like Dr. Strange Dormammu stuff or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you've actually seen that some of those some of those craft are, in fact, like bizarre technology for pe for watchers. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dude, when you OK, I have to ask you a question. When you saw that, were you like, what the heck, dude? Like, what was your reaction upon discovering that? Okay, so like you're you're looking at it and it's like this this thing, it's this anomaly, it's light, it's a craft, but then but then when you're viewing it, it's like other beings come forth to step into this zone in order to see you back. And they can go back to wherever they came from or they can like hang out there and look. And yeah, during a session, you're, you're, you're remote viewing and you're not judging, but you're going, you are going, wow, this is a little bit weird. Yeah. And this is definitely a dimensional construct of another dimension that's meeting our dimension. 
and they're and in this in a sense it's, it's a craft at the same time it's very weird it's like it's something that humans definitely can't wrap their mind around but but it's like a lens type of craft where different beings can come in now are they fully here or fully there they're fully there it's like sticking your head into a bubble window so you yeah, can look much, around right yeah much safer especially if the physics here don't line up with their wherever they're coming from or right the conditions of earth aren't quite right for their bodies it's easier for right. them to send a craft and they could look through it instead maybe right right that's crazy a little bit unsettling too it's yeah like bad enough we have modern technology that's tracking us all this time and now we've got to look up at the sky and see if there's a disc there with an eye in it <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah wow very interesting stuff um well you guys this to some extent, at least for now, wraps up a few of these UFO uh, episodes that John and I wanted to um, bring you on the journey of because there's so much going on right now with all of this whistleblowing and all of this information that that is readily available. Metaphysical, this podcast, this is the place to talk about this stuff. So what did you guys think? Please leave comments um, below wherever you are, uh, whether you be on YouTube, Rise TV, Spotify, whatever. Also, please Think about uh, supporting all of our work by subscribing to Rise.TV and watching the Michael Schratt interview uh, with, with Ben. Uh, easy to find on there. And it's only $9.99 um, a month to subscribe. And we get just so much content there uh, that you get in return. And John, thanks so much for being with us and for, for going through all of this. And uh, yeah, definitely you guys let us know what you think. And we hope you thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. See you next time.